sound is a strange thing because it's in fact our, our oldest sense. So when we were just multi-celled organisms, the presence of another multi-celled organism um, through waves and movement, um, that's how we would have first noticed the presence of something other. For the last 140 years or so, audio recording has allowed us to rehear ourselves. We have subsequently talked and sung a lot into microphones and pressed the results onto wax cylinders, vinyl discs, tapes and hard drives. On Spotify alone, there are 65,000 songs uploaded every day. But beyond music and the human voice, there is a profound new terrain emerging in audio that has the potential to unlock new ways of understanding. We can hear disease growing and waves emerging from black holes. We have recordings of 23,000 people singing a single note and 20,000 dogs barking. At the same time as the capacity to record, store and manipulate sound has evolved, we have also brought to life a near-perfect economic system for doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. From subsidising fossil fuels to prioritising harmful foods, distorting information for profit and proactively stimulating overconsumption, it is consciously designed to maximise short-term rewards over long-term sustainability. This system has, at its core, a fundamental requirement for related injustice, exploited workers, an exploited environment, and a commitment to the patriarchal and white supremacist historical structures and narrative justifications that keep it running smoothly. But what if we could apply the new reach of sound recordings in order to be able to hear how the workings and consequences of this system might sound? And once heard, can we go even further than our microphones can, what Anne Balsamo calls listening with technology, to listen to the previously impossible? Can we hear all the water pumps on farms in Iowa, or all the supermarket tills in Rio? Once we have heard such sounds, it can become harder to defend the status quo as healthy or harmonious. In December 2022, we invited Dr Matthew Herbert to join us for our third and final Goethe annual lecture to celebrate 60 years of the Goethe Institute London. Through a series of extraordinary sound recordings, during his talk Beyond Hearing, Matthew pushed us to hear further than we thought might have been possible, asking us, how can systemic listening lead to meaningful action? For today's episode, you'll be listening to his talk, which was moderated by Ellen Finer. You're listening to Talking Culture, a Futures podcast. Through fascinating interviews with thinkers and doers in the arts and culture sector, this show investigates how creative fields are emerging from the tumultuous present into the future. From the Goethe Institute London, this is a podcast about the critical role and value that arts and culture have in our societies. I'm your host, Lucy Rowan. Our guest speaker, Matthew Herbert, is a musician, artist, producer and writer whose range of innovative works extends from numerous albums to Ivo Novello-nominated film scores. He has performed solo as a DJ and with various musicians, including his own 18-piece big band, all around the world, from the Sydney Opera House to the Hollywood Bowl. Over the years, he's worked closely with musical acts as diverse as Bjork and Dizzy Rascal. In 2013, he set up NX Records with Goldsmiths University 
to support the release of music from alumni. Notable collaborators have included Chef Heston Blumenthal, playwrights Carol Churchill and Duncan Macmillan, musician Arto Lindsay, and writer Will Self. But he is most known for working with sound, turning ordinary or so-called found sound into electronic music. His most celebrated work, One Pig, followed the life of a pig from birth to play and beyond. And finally, Matthew has even dabbled in film production. His movie Symphony of Noise, which was screened to accompany his Goethe annual lecture back in December, has the premise that music has undergone a revolution. Instead of making music with instruments, we can now use anything that makes a sound. Music is not a product, but a process. And so, with such an eclectic and impressive resume, we were particularly excited to be taken into Matthew's world to not only encounter new sounds, but learn how we can use those sounds for societal good. Over to Matthew. I'm Dr. Matthew Herbert. I'm director of the Radiophonic Institute, and I'm a composer, and much of what I do is compose with sound. A a revolution has happened in in my time, which is you can now make music out of anything. As a consequence, things have shifted enormously. So you could make music out of a school shooting in America, the audio recording of that, but should you? What are the responsibilities that, that go with that and the ethics around, around that? I'm not going to talk so much about that. I might hint at it later. But through this process of working with sound, I found myself in uncharted territory or in hearing things that no human has ever heard before. And it's an extraordinary feeling you sort of feel like someone somewhere would have experienced something so my very first uh, the very first recording i took was of an apple uh, biting into an apple and then slowing it down and hearing the fibers tearing and you realize it sounded like um, a tree being chopped down and you realize of course it's just the same thing it's the fibers and the cellulose pulling away from something this messing with time this slowing down of time and like working with the materials of life this led me on eventually to record three and a half thousand people biting an apple at the same time. It took me a little while to work out that that's what I wanted to do. And actually, it's an interesting thing, which is when you bite uh, an apple, you know, it's very loud sort of sound. But actually, what does somebody else eating an apple sound like? And it sounds like this. So you multiply by three and a half thousand and you get... And uh, it's an amazing metaphor, really, for, for how we see ourselves, which is you know, the thing that we think is most important to us. <laughs> to somebody else, sounds like, like a little thing like this. And I realized maybe I was the first person in the world to ever hear three and a half thousand people bite an apple at the same time. The possibilities of listening and using technology to listen um, unlock something really profound for me. Sound is a strange thing because it's in fact our, our oldest sense. So when we were just multi-celled organisms, the presence of another multi-celled organism um, through waves and movement, um, that's how we would have first noticed the presence of something other. Um, and yet it's also our newest sense in the world, which we've, we've only had recorded sound for the last century or so. We've had the recorded image since cave paintings. We haven't had the recorded image for more than 100 years, for less than 100 years. Having only had it for a century or so, 
had a very fragmented approach to listening. And we can still see the same bias that you would see in any other archive, in a sound archive, about who has access to technology, where it was pointed, what sort of things were recorded. Um, so actually, even though we have sound recordings, we still have a very, very, we haven't scratched the surface of, of what it means to have recorded sound and how we should organise it. So for example, unless you're the king, there's probably not a recording of the street where you grew up on um, out there. And say you want to move to a, a street next week, there's no way you can go to listen to that that street either and hear the sound of it. How far away is the traffic? How far away is the train station? Um, can you hear the airplanes overhead? So it's a very new thing. We're still getting used to what how we can organise it. And um, the thing that I love about recording is this idea of being able to separate your ears from your head, take them off and send them off around the world into dark corners and things. And sort of in a way, by recording sound, we're capturing something invisible. In a way, what I'm interested in is the possibility to hear patterns, to render systems or render things around us that are invisible, the forces that act upon us um, or that we've designed to render them audible and in some way visible, um, I guess. So for me, listening is about, um, or has increasingly become about, understanding systems. Um, and I think this is particularly true because our own systems are our biggest threat right now. So uh, Naomi Klein says the thing that we have to do to guarantee our destruction is nothing. We just keep going exactly the way things are going. And you realize we've designed a system that to, to, to do exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. Just food, for example, 30% of our food is wasted. And so if you think about on average, there's around 136 million chickens killed every day. So 30% of those will never get eaten. So that's about 40 million chickens a day that are raised, killed, shipped around the world, and then buried or burned or wherever they, they might end up. An extraordinarily wasteful system. So I'm interested in what, how can we, how can we hear that? And then can we gain something from listening to that that we haven't previously been able to access? And an Balsamo is the former dean of the School of Arts, Technology and Emerging Communication at the University of Texas. And she talks about something called listening with technology. And I think that's something that I'm, I've found myself doing and that I'm interested in. And this idea of using the technology to be able to hear, for example, three and a half thousand people eating an apple, or if I could, 40 million chickens that aren't going to be eaten today. I sort of slightly regretting not bringing you three at the sound of three and a half thousand apples being eaten. That was an oversight on my part anyway. But so I thought we'd do some listening really and we'd, we'd try and cheat. So I'd try and do 30 years of what I've, what I've done with my way of listening to try and do that in 25, 30 minutes. So we're going we're gonna to begin. So the, the first thing is, is um, Roland Barthes talks about, he doesn't quite talk about listening in this respect, he talks about recognising oneself in the space. So I thought, well, the first thing we should listen to is probably this room. And so uh, this is this room. So that's all the little bits, all the little noises, all the switches and all the, the things that we could find, just thought... Um, that was useful to me because I, I hadn't been in this room before, so I had um, somebody come and make those recordings for me. 
So I thought we should start by listening to this, listening to this room. So the first question then is, well, where should the microphone be? Well, I thought, well, I'm standing here. So this is what I would be hearing if this was last Friday. And then I thought, well, if somebody was in the audience, what are you going to hear? So if last Friday, if you were sat where that gentleman is um, at the back there, just in front of the mixing desk, this is from, if he was sat there last Friday, this is what he'd have heard. It's slightly different, believe it or not. <laughs> this is what I heard. That's what you heard. Now, some of these are down by the window here. So this is what they'd have heard. This is what I'm hearing. This is what they're hearing. You're slightly, slightly closer to the traffic. You're starting to get a sense of structure and, you know, like some here being needing to be quiet or there being a, some sort of position of power being further away from something, being closer to traffic, things like that. So I decided to go a bit further um, in this. So this was recorded at exactly this time um, last week on Friday. So this is outside the building. Uh, then this is uh, out the back by the bins. What's that noise? That's a really unpleasant noise. It's sort of got a high-pitched whine as well. It's not a very pleasant noise. I should tell you where this one is. This is around the back of the building. child's voice is useful here because you can start to hear it echoing off some of the spaces we begin to get a sense of uh, we begin to be able to build up a picture that we can hear a lot of traffic but there's also a child playing so it feels relatively safe you can hear the sound bouncing off the walls and things but this sort of this rumble um in a way so what about 6 30 last friday but 10 miles away this is 10 miles away in london at the same time And then this is my studio, 60 miles away at exactly the same time. Now, I live on a farm. Um, it's very beautiful. It's been there since 1600. It's on the marshes. It's very beautiful. This is what it sounded like. You hear this presence of cars and rumbling, even though whether we're in the city, whether we're inside, even, you know, we can... Once we go back to the window, you can hear it rumbling away out there. And then here we are um, 
back in my studio, it's still there. Okay, Bristol, we've now moved a, a hundred miles away. This is still 6.30 last Friday, a hundred miles away. This is Berlin, 580 miles away, 6.30. And then let's keep going. Milan, 590 miles away. Barcelona, 700 miles away. <laughs> Turkey, 2,000 miles away. This is still 6.30 last Friday. They're having a bit of a party in Turkey. Okay, Brazil in... Uh, Sakarima. <laughs> That's nearly our first bird, actually. Let's keep going. Japan, 6,000 miles away. Believe it or not, this is my friend who lives halfway up a volcano on <laughs> on his balcony. I don't know what he's doing, but Chile, seven thousand miles away. Australia and Sydney, ten and a half thousand miles away. Then this is all of them playing at the same time. Doesn't sound it doesn't sound positive. It doesn't sound like, um, yeah, it's difficult to work out. I mean, who are these people? I mean, one of these people I can tell you is, well, we can say, we can say that it's not probably not Ukraine right now because there aren't explosions and there aren't, um, things like that. But there is a, one of the person, people that made that recording for me is a Russian exile who fled Russia just as the war started. So that's his recording. So. Starting to when you start to layer these up, when you start to think, you start to hear on a, on a bigger scale, things start to fall into place. You start to realise, oh, maybe there should be a different way of of it. So this is um this is a piece that I did last week, which was made out of every sound inside and outside of Lakeside Shopping Centre, um, in Essex.
And then I, I worked on a film called Life in a Day where we asked everybody to send us their favorite sounds. Uh, the first 465, I thought, oh, I wonder what happens if you play every, the first 465 sounds that I was sent, if you play them all at the same time. And this is a sound that in a way changed my life, I, I think. I think it's extraordinary. These are people's favorite sound. So this is the thing they like the most in the world, played at the same time. For me, that that thing is happening for me where you start to be able to hear a system. You start to be able to hear that this is an unhealthy situation that we're living in. This is an extraordinarily awful thing <laughs> to hear. So I filtered it to try and listen to it differently. So this is taking out all the low frequencies. You realize maybe, uh, maybe the lower sounds are the things that are, th are things that we find unpleasant. Maybe it's, maybe it's easier to cope with these higher, higher sounds. Um, also it sort of reminded me a little bit of a pond. So here's a recording of a pond. This is available in the British um, Library in their sound archive. And then I heard a sound last week recorded by my friend Julian Sartorius, who's a drummer, and um, he's an extraordinary drummer. And for some reason, I'm not quite entirely sure why, but he played the same part for 10 hours continuously. Um, he stopped for two or three minutes just to eat and drink, but he played outside on a roof. And then this is it in a minute. You'll hear 10 hours of drumming in a minute. Like we, like we can hear his breaks. And then it goes back to how it was. I did a project at the uh, Welcome Collection and um, with the Royal Opera House um, as part of an exhibition called This Is The Voice. Um, we asked everybody to sing a single note as they went through the, um, they came, as they came to the end of the exhibition. And then we took their voice, looped it and added it to everybody else that had done it. So by the end, we ended up with 23,000 people singing at the end. And so this is a, a note of their choice. So this is, this is 23,000 people singing.
It reminded me a little bit of this uh, out by the pins. I didn't have a particularly good experience with the director on Life in a Day Part 2, but one of the really exciting things about it, which sadly didn't end up in the film, was we went into all 365,000 uh, submissions that were made for the film. The film was made and assembled out of out of films recorded all on the same day. And I worked with a computer programmer called Dr. Matthew Yi King at Goldsmiths University and uh, Dan Jones. And they wrote a script for me that pulled out um, every sound that happened in that day that was sent to me that was a B-flat. So it could be a cockerel, it could be a car. A lot of it was human speaking, a lot of it was things. But this is it. This is all the B-flats on the 25th of July, 2020. Starts to get a bit intense, I was told. Uh, from the same project, this is this is 2,425 people laughing. It's quite strange. And then uh, this is from a different project using the same... Um, technology for a different project. Um, this is 23,000 dogs. amuses me the last one and finally some people coughing feel sorry for the small child at the end there. Okay, so so now that you've heard what I've heard over the years, now I sort of want to go beyond that, really. This is the bit that I'm interested in, which is having a sense of what the world sounds like, having things, how do we hear 
beyond that. So I think the first thing I'd like you to do is listen to your breath as it goes up um, your nose and back down it. You should be able to hear it just a little bit against some of the hairs on the inside of your nose. And now that you're breathing, I'm going to try and sort of hear across borders. So right now there's somebody that you're, you're breathing at the same pace that somebody who's asleep now. And that person has got school exams next week. Now with that same, keeping that same rhythm, that same, that same in and out, at that same pace, you're also breathing at the same time as somebody who's on a bus in the dark going to work to build a bit for a car that you're going to ride in one day. So I'd like you to try and go back to the person on the bus in the dark who's going to work. And I want you to try and hear inside the bus engine, like which bit of the engine are you going to listen to? Would it be a little thing that clicks or is it right inside right inside the the engine as the pistons going around is there oil sloshing around in the in the inside is it raining might you hear windscreen wipers going at the same time i'd like to listen inside all of the bus engines in the city or the country that you're currently imagining and then the dust grows and grows it's swirling now recorded binaurally it blends into the sound inside a 10 year old bag of a never emptied vacuum cleaner as it sucks up grit and cat hairs it's now a roar, a rumble. We hear now from inside another vacuum cleaner, this time a handheld one, sucking up bits of old food and stray Lego hands from underneath the child seat in a car. Then we're inside a hand dryer at a one-star hotel. Then we're inside the air conditioning piping in the channel tunnel. Then we're inside the heating ducts of a temporary structure hosting a wedding for a TV celebrity. Then we're inside the chest of an asthmatic boy. Then we're inside the nearly finished dome at Chernobyl, listening to air being sucked out and recirculated through pipework. Now we're inside the exit pipe leading from a tumble dryer in a laundrette in Liverpool out of a window on the 13th floor. Now we're inside the throat of a smoker as they inhale on a pipe while watching the news in Gambia. Now we're inside a pair of bellows operated by an elderly man on his knees in front of a failing fire. Now we're inside a huge Catholic church organ as it starts to warm up and air passes. Now we're inside the nose of someone getting CPR. Now we're in a fan heater as it heats up a disabled person in a garden shed. Now we're inside a Malaysian Airlines jet engine at takeoff. Now we're inside the fan on a laptop. Now we're by the ear of a sound engineer as she listens to the sound of wind whistling through the ribcage of a dead animal in the highlands of Scotland. Now we're inside the fan of an ice cream freezer in Israel. Now we're inside the chest of someone in the back of a lorry struggling to breathe. Now we're inside the crematorium... Uh, the cremation oven that may burn the body of Henry Kissinger. Now we're at a country fair inside the pipework of a steam engine once used to run a cotton mill near Rochdale. Now we're in a van's ventilation system on the way back from the mines. Now we're the air leaving a football as it's kicked. Now we're in an extractor fan in the first-class toilet at 37,000 feet. Someone you'll never meet at a factory is making some clothing for you. What can you hear of them? Can you hear the machine... Are they sewing? Are they putting in the zip? Are they putting in buttons? Are they putting in poppers? Now can you hear everybody that's making clothes for you right now? Clothes that you might buy soon or in five years' time. You hear the whole textiles industry, the whirring and the bobbing. Can then you hear it breaking down in landfill? All the stuff that's not there is now buried underground. It's oozing. Is there an ooze? Is there worms going through it? Are there beetles? Is there scruffling like the pond that we heard? 
are those noises? Who's dealing with all of this shit that we're making? I think hearing it helps to render it more comprehensible, somehow capturing the, the invisible. Levina says there's no transcendence without ethics. So back to the breath in your nose, the breath of someone is breathing maybe at the same speed as you, someone who's going to clean this room tonight. The breath of a young woman in Iran who will be beaten tomorrow. When you can hear this, you know that we're united. We're bound together. The lungs and breath of one of those Brazilian birds we heard, a horse in a field, all breathing the same air as us. We're all connected. Bart says, listen to me means touch me, know that I exist. I'd like to thank Patrick Larkondon, Dan Pollard, Jan Sesnick, Matthew Yeking, Brad Acton, Dan Jones, Julian Sartorius, Hugh Jones, all the contributors who recorded for me and you for listening. Thank you very much. And uh, a shameless plug, but the bit was from um, my book, which is a whole, um, which a description of a record I'll never make. And that's part of the, that's part of the chapter. I, I wasn't expecting you to end. So I was like in a kind of, just closing my eyes, listening to you talking, and then you thanked everyone, and I thought, this is it. <laughs> but I'm so thrilled. That was absolutely amazing, a kind of extraordinary journey through sound. And I have so many, so many thoughts and so many questions and comments, and, and I'm sure everyone else here does. So we can perhaps talk for about 10 minutes and then open mm. out to anyone who el else who has a question. And maybe instead of me kind of closing down any quest on any question i could just give you a few of my thoughts and you can choose which of them you'd like to pick up on because i was so i was so struck when you were taking us to all these places so fast actually with such pace inviting us to be inside fans and freezers and and other people's bodies and i thought my imagination goes faster in vision than it does in sound and that's of course my subjective experience I don't know how it was for other people but I go faster in vision and I don't know in, in imagination and I love listening and um, I, I, I love attending to things through listening but when you're giving us that all that information I go to vision so immediately I see it and then I'm trying to listen but then you've taken us somewhere else so I was thinking then about kind of taking time to attend to to sound and how we actually have to take time so I in listening to you sitting there um once I hear the football next door of course I can't listen to both at once it's a practice of select it's a selective practice and there's an ethics in that as well and maybe you'd like to talk to that I was also thinking about how, as we move um from for the 630s how of course, we're moving as well through time zones. So we're hearing also not 6.30 everywhere. We're hearing these different parts of the day. And I wondered when you also took us, um, we've suddenly heard birdsong, if that was then another part of the day. And so, in fact, it's this kind of collapse then of all these, of, of night into day and all these kind of different conditions. Yeah, that was a, a friend... Uh, a friend of mine who was on a Brazilian retreat in the Amazon and working with some indigenous people. And it was so shocking after hearing all the other sort of <laughs> thing yeah. to suddenly hear just birds, even on my farm, you know, we've got a lot of bird life 
around with Lucky, but just uh, I was quite shocked when I listened to my own recording because I'd normalised it. I'd normalised this hum, this sort of hum of consumption and engines and motors and this churn of shit, really. Uh, there's no other way of putting it, just making things, using them a bit, throwing them away, burying them, or you like growing chickens, not eating them, burning them, you know, just this this cycle of, of destruction, you know. Isn't there something called the great hum? Or I'm sure other people in the room know this better than me, I don't, but the, this phenomenon that there is this hum that some people can tune into. So we're talking about sounds, or you're talking about sounds brilliantly, that are kind of out of human range or out of our range or beyond hearing. And, and this is one that kind of some people can tune into which speaks to also our conditions of hearing. Yeah, and there, there is, there's obviously background hum from space. There's all sorts of um, sounds that we're hearing and different kinds of sonic information that we're getting from um, a whole variety of things. I did learn something extraordinary the other day, which was that um, bees in the hive, when they're humming, hum at exactly the same pitch as the rest of the universe, which is like really extraordinary little tiny detail. You think, well, once you know it, you're like, oh, well, of course they do. But you know, that oh, idea. That's so lovely, <laughs> isn't it? That's so lovely because that was something I was thinking about when you were talking is about kind of, I guess, sympathetic sounds or, sa or the kind of trickster nature of sound, which I guess, you know, we're always kind of caught up in this game of resemblances with sound and it was made so explicit by the, the brilliant interpreter here that, if you hadn't, for example, named something as dog, would we have got the gesture of dog? Or would we have got um, a, some other kind of interpretation of what that sound is? You know. And when you layer up 23,000 of them, it starts to sound very, it starts to sound very strange. And the dogs. Yeah. Yeah, they sound underwater. Yeah, well, I put them on little underwater. That's to try and help me listen as well. <laughs> So I started underwater right. so that otherwise it's just for like two minutes. And so for me, it's, it's a way, you know, like these sounds, I'm still, I still don't know what to do with half of them. I still don't know what to do next. Um, yeah. I did, I did a, particularly when it comes to recording and the ethics of working with some of these sounds, if you don't, if you don't own them, I was once um, sent the sound of somebody being shot. Um, I asked people to send me their favourite sounds and their most hated sounds, and somebody sent sounds of them being of somebody being shot. And suddenly, I was in my studio and not knowing is it appropriate. I don't know anything about this person, this situation. Suddenly, I'm I'm embedded in this political and social situation. So that act of what you then do with these recordings or what your responsibilities to other people, I think, are really um, challenging and interesting. They are, and I know that you've also you also talk about this a lot and think about this a lot. And um, in fact, when we first met, which was actually the last time we met, the only other time that I've met Matthew, um, it we it was at the British Library, and it and there was a whole conversation about whether to, whether to play something about actually the kind of responsibility and whether to make audible again the recording. And I guess I had a question um, before opening out to others' questions about recordings and whether also you work with live and with live streams, because in particular when you were playing all these sounds at once, I was thinking of, say, platforms like Locus Sonus that 
enable us to listen into multiple places across the globe kind of at the same time or kind of in correspondence or sequentially. And there's that impossibility and that illusion that we're listening to now because, of course, there's a delay and, of course, um, you know, there are other factors in, in the medium kind of altering the time sense of that. But I wonder, what's your commitment to the record? Because it does come through very much and you're talking about it. There's something about the collection of sound, like your, your own personal archive of sound. So I'd really like to hear you talk about that. Well, it's, com it's complicated, as you allude to. And what I didn't talk about there, which I could have done another, uh, or we could have talked a lot about, is about the, the format and the medium itself. Some, was, some were recorded properly, some were recorded on mobile phones. Um, and so you have a lot of different perspectives on that, a lot of different parts of information going into the recording. So it's not like it's a version of the truth, necessarily. It's not... This is exactly what happened. But I think I think there's something about trying to decode it for me that I find really interesting. So the very first recording that we listened to it feels like nearly silence, but me standing at the lectern, actually you could hear a little girl outside and you suddenly got a sense of, oh, you're not entirely alone. You're not in the soundproofed theatre. I'm so in love with this idea of being able to bend time and to render it somehow, pause it, being able to stop it and to make, make sense of it. One of my favorite ever recordings I've never heard, but it was on the, it was on radio four. My dad told me about it. It was a program about archeologists talking about uh, ancient Egypt. And they realized that the potters were, wore jewelry and they were working their pots on wheels. And they, what they were trying to do was use, basically as the pots turned, their hands became like crude record players or recordings, recordings the sound of ancient Egypt. So what they were trying to do was use, find a way to get a stylus of some kind to play back these pots. And then you suddenly get to hear the sound of ancient Egypt. And it makes you, when you... When you hear about the possibility that we could hear ancient Egypt, you just realize how silent history is. Go you know, on. you just realize it's completely, we think of it as noisy because we've seen all these images and we know there's buildings and things, but actually we don't know what the past sounded like at all. We've got no sense of that. And I think it's particularly, it's particularly a hard thing to think about now as well, because how do you listen to an absence, you know, when there's a a huge biodiversity loss. I mean, we listen to all those recordings, but actually the huge absence of birds, of other animals, of trees, of the things that we depend on to, for life and things. And so how do you listen to an absence as well? So this, I sort of hold on to these recordings as a way of trying to keep listening again and try and find more information in it that I can. So going back to them and kind of, yeah, you, you can really hear it in your work, this commitment to going back to them, because I'm sure I'm not alone when I say I have a lot of voice memos and a lot of recordings that I don't think I'll ever listen to again. No. And I think of those um, storage banks. And, you know, every image of a storage bank, I'm so struck, I'm a bit obsessed with images of storage banks because they're always these kind of shots of shelves going, 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 going into this kind of very exact perspectival distance 
shining, gleaming. You mean the servers that are keeping yeah, all our digital stuff and it, on? Yeah, and I kind of look at these and think, yeah, it's kind of infinite and it's actually scary how much, you know, we rely on these and they're so invisible as well. So we're talking about absences and what's inaudible and also kind of what's invisible that we rely on to also keep what's largely inaudible to us. Yeah, and, and they're burying the servers in the sea to keep them cool and things yes. like that. And you just think all, of the, all the noise pollution and, that's that. you know, there's this um, study a new scientist came out a few weeks ago it, might, it actually made it to the the news you might you might have heard about it but the um coral reef they were playing the sounds of a happy healthy coral reef to the coral reef and the coral reef responded and grew better and did better through hearing through hearing the sound of a healthy coral reef that it makes started me really emotional <laughs> um but, you know, partly that makes me really emotional because recently, to kind of give you a story as well, um, in, in return for your amazing stories, is I've been working with the mammals curator at the Natural History Museum and with the whale, whale skeletons. And he said, I have to show you something. And he was so, and he hadn't told me about it before. And he took me to this very kind of it almost looked like a 1960s kitchen cabinet. And then I opened it up and inside were these long cylinders of wax and he said these are the wax earplugs from a whale and can you see those dark rings in them so this is like if you imagine almost a kind of candle shape and then inside there are very very light rings in this candle and then dark rings and he said those rings represent um, the cortisol the stress hormone and where the dark rings are are when the world wars were they're when aggressive whaling happened. They're when military experiments started happening with much more frequency. And he said, this is history recorded in the whale's ear. And it just struck me how much we just really don't know, you know, and this is how much we really don't know, but also we really can't hear. I mean, we're, we're looking at that and we think we're, we're in a way through looking at that, we're hearing what a whale has perceived perhaps in in another sense of hearing, not as obviously as we do. But, you know, your choral story just made me think of that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. Is that amazing? But anyway, we should... I can go off because I'm making a record out of a horse skeleton. I know, I know. <laughs> well, maybe you could tell us about the horse skeleton and then we can open up to questions after you tell us about your horse skeleton. I bought a horse skeleton on eBay of um, <laughs> of an ex racehorse, and I'm doing the story of the musical imagination from bone flutes up to te up to modern electronics. So at the end, you'll pick up a bone and it will play the sound of the horse running free. At the beginning, you sort of blow through it, and so I went to the caves in northern Spain with some of the world's oldest horse drawings and recorded. Um, recorded there but I was spending a lot of time with the skeleton and it, it reminded me of um, this horrific story about Harris lines which are a thing in forensic bones which is this child was murdered and um, they could tell the year that he was abused because of the stunted growth a bit like the whale the way the trauma was embedded in the bones as he grew up 
and I managed to trace it to when his grandfather visited and it was his grandfather abusing him in this this capacity for the body to remember and sorry it's a bit of an oblique angle but it reminded me of your whale ear ear thing but this yeah anyway we should talk about something more cheery but the horse will become then an album of the musical yeah so it starts uh, it starts and and actually what i realized was in a way because you start with music as in form of impressionism of bone flutes of like um, and you finish with a horse up and running again. Um, in a way, you're bringing the horse back to life through music. So I'm trying to revert, I'm trying to do a version of the choral reap type thing, I guess. You know. Wow! If you manage to make that horse live, you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back here. You'll definitely be back here. You'll be everywhere. But let's. Um... <laughs> now I'm just imagining that happening because Matthew did show me a picture of its bones. Yeah. Would would anyone in the audience like to ask Matthew a question? I'm sure that there are so many thoughts going around. I'm going to put my glasses on, actually. That might help. Here's a question here. Hello. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. Yeah, I was just uh, struck by the listening to everything or like many things all at once and kind of wondering about the questions of representation or like what's being represented there because I kind of thought if you listen to or look at or even just imagine lots of stuff at once. It always becomes horrific because you you played the the favorite sounds. Thought that that look, that sounded awful, but I'm just yeah I'm curious about that kind of act of representation and it, whether you see it as neutral or it's definitely not neutral. And I think it's a a valid question. I think these are all um, these are all sort of baby steps. I feel I feel like I'm right at the beginning of something. So it's sort of trying to understand it. But I, I do think that when you look, for example, at do you know Bernie Krause? Bernie Krause has written a book called The Great Animal Orchestra, and he records a lot of um, rainforests and things. And he has a very he has these amazing recordings, including all the spectrograms of the frequencies. He talks about a representation of harmony in as much as every animal and plant has their frequency, if you like. So they're all, they're all represented and they all, you know, by finding a little slot in the thing that they find a place for, for all of them. And I think that's what's really, that's what struck me strongly is this idea of, um, what might a harmonic soundscape be for us? Because we can't just do everything that we want all the time without consequences. So we have to adapt. We have to change our behavior fundamentally to do that. So is there a clue in that? Is there that a clue in that, in the spectrogram of the rainforest with everybody with a, a little frequency or a part? So a really good example of that would be right now car manufacturers are artificially putting sounds in their cars because electric cars don't make a noise and we got in touch with some of them from the radiophonic institute and we said can, it's up to you what you do but can you at least make them in the same key make them in the key of g so traffic starts to sound instead of awful maybe something a bit a bit calmer a bit purer but they weren't that that interested i also approached uh, white goods manufacturers like a washing machine because I realized the other day a washing machine is just an album it lasts about 70 minutes it starts quietly it's got a peak in the middle drops down a bit then has a huge surge at the end and then dies off 
And you just realize you're just listening to an engineer, you know, a cycle of engineering. So I said to them, well, can't we create something pleasing about that? You know, can't we, can't we have a, an opinion on that? Why don't you work with us to help shape that? And what happens when your washing machine's going, but then so is your cooker and then your toaster? Is there a way that we can, again, create some sort of harmony about it? So I think you're, I think you're right to question whether it's just, whether it's a sleight of hand or something like that, or whether it's, you know, you're, but I think there's something really, I think there's something really fundamental there, which is no matter which way you dice it, it's a, it's a, it creates discord, it creates discord. And so in a way, I guess the next step would be for me is thinking about, well, how do we order organize ourselves harmonically not just doing whatever we can you know yeah i think that makes sense i think my fear or concern is sometimes where it goes towards just like there's too many people you know there's too much oh good no you know? no it's definitely no no it's not a, it's not about that it's about consumption and it's about lifestyle and it's about um people like me flying around the world and having access to unlimited stuff in supermarkets without any sense of where it comes from. Question down here. Matthew, I'm surprised they're not interested in, in listening to you about electronic vehicles because they spend so much time tuning exhausts. <laughs> um, you're, you're raising um, sort of ethical and moral dimensions of music and what should be done and shouldn't be done. It seems to me one of your most affecting pieces of of making the almost the ungraspable real was the wonderful piece you did about um, the Iraq war where you, you, you started off with the idea that one note would represent one death and then you realised that it would be too long and then you'd have to be, have one note would represent a hundred deaths. And I think you ended up with one note representing a thousand, one beat well, representing a thousand right. deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in, in gestures like that, you are making, you are answering some of the questions you're raising. Um, yeah, I'd forgotten about that actually. Yeah. I, yeah. It became like a sort of sonic war memorial, but it was also yeah. utterly devastating because it had to go so fast to, for the number of deaths that it ended up just being almost like a continuous, um, a continuous tone. And, um, thank you for raising that because actually in a way that's what sound has created the possibility for me and anybody else that wants to do it with technology, like listening with technology, like you being able to hear and comprehend in a different way. Your point about the visual imagination um, is an interesting one because we process sound six to eight times faster than the image. So it goes straight, it goes much quicker to different parts of our brain. We process it much faster and we process the image 23 times faster than text. So if you're just reading, then sound is way faster than and reading um, text. So this capacity to understand really big numbers or really scales of things or the horrors of the Iraq war, I think for me feels like a liberation of materials that hasn't really been grasped yet, I think, by the wider music community. It still seems we're seduced by, me included, seduced by drum machines or guitars or, or synthesizers or, or, or whatever. But actually we've got this whole new material to work with well it was a deeply affecting piece and i thank you well, thank you very much there's a question down here at the front yeah um yeah this goes back a bit you're 
what you were talking about before and this, um, you know, layering of um, many thousands of the same sounds because it, like you kind of said, it, it, it wasn't enhanced, it became very indistinct. And I think that because of this whole thing that humans obviously aren't very good at finding the different places in the spectrum. And interesting enough, the one that had the most sort of variety and clarity seemed to be people coughing, which was quite interesting. But um, in, in, in the piece that was All the Sounds in a Day, it sounded to me very like one of my favourite sounds, which is pachinko parlour. So, you know, if, if you're familiar or not with it, it's a Japanese amu sort of amusement game where you have thousands of ball bearings rattling around and lots of electronic music and, and then a sort of this huge hum of background hum. And, and I wondered in that, it, it seemed like all these thousands or hundreds of thousands of sounds that a lot of them must have been stuck in this sort of human inability to find a place, but maybe very few sort of contributed that sort of nice high-end variety. I wondered if you had any idea what, what sort of, how it sort of broke down in a very general terms into sort of distribution of sounds. What was going on that made it sort of seem like that? It's very hard to know. I did listen to all of them individually and it was from 2010. So I, I, I'm struggling to remember. There was a, quite a, there was an awful lot of people making coffee so there's probably a quite a lot of metallic and teaspoons and things like that of, of coffee making and then a couple of bicycles and the ticking of spokes and things like that going on. But yeah, it's a very sort of like, you know, this frequency, I think this general low hum, I mean, we're so dominated by machinery now, really, it seems overwhelming. I find it, yeah, I live on our farm, we live not far from the road, as you can hear, and at weekends, motorbikes come past and a lot of Harley Davidson groups and they go down to Margate on sort of charity runs or whatever it might be. And it's just so, it's so overwhelmingly oppressive. And I, I don't think that they should necessarily, well, it'd be better if they did on electric ones, but it doesn't quite have the same effect, but the sort of the sh sense of a shared space that we're sharing a space together, we haven't negotiated that at all well. So for example, um, if, when we walk out onto the street, Everything will have been thought about how it looked, but, you know, including the council, be involved in signs, placing and, and, and how everything might look. But absolutely no thought really has gone into how it sounds other than don't have a nightclub here or don't, uh, when you come out of a pub, please be quiet for your neighbours or something like that. But there's no sense of what echoing might do or like foot, you know, or what cars echoing off of these large buildings or whether they should be planting trees to baffle some of the sound or things like that. So we're living in a very kind of cacophonous, poorly designed urban environment. And I, and I think that's goes back to the sense of we should be pursuing some sense of harmony, I think, whatever that might be. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Thanks. So there are a few hands up. So right at the back, then nearer the front. Um, in your going through of the different senses... You only talked about um, sound or hearing and vision. Um, and coming back to your opening example of the fruit that gives us knowledge, I was very struck by the contrast of we, we hear tactilely. There's a haptic experience. Um, and I just wanted, given that that hasn't been thematized except in the sense of being moved, 
touched, whether you might have something to say with regard to that, not least insofar as it maybe opens up to come back to the question of t- the temporality of hearing. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And I, I said as a, unrelate, as a related but not answering your question thing, I, I was thinking about smell as well, which presumably in the next, that'll be our next new sense. You know, we don't know what the past smelled like. And um, presumably in the future, we'll be able to record smell and capture smell. And then, and that goes even faster. That bypasses the amygdala. Is that right? A sort of brain person will know more than me, but it, that goes even faster to the brain and, and how it processes. Um, but that, um, I'm going to, can I think about that? Because no, no one's asked me that before. And that's an interesting thought. I'd like to think about that. Yeah. But it's also so interesting because you've, you, in a way, you talk about it all the time. It's just so implicit in your in your speaking. I think that's why it was drawn out as a question. How you do know? you mean? Sorry. Um, I think in in the way that you talk about our relationship with sound and actually how it can bring us closer to experiences, almost close enough to touch. And because sound is vibrational, because even when I'm speaking, I have to say the microphone confuses this point I'm about to make. But as I'm speaking... The, the the sound is coming to you in in waves. So in a way, when it's made, when it's manifested in, when it's materialized in your ear, it's 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 a relationship of touch, even at a distance. Yeah, and I think I guess that's like my multi-celled organism thing at the beginning about it being mm-hmm. our very first sense. Yeah. But then I also feel like time is like I also feel like time is like that, like a sort of series of croutons, and that we're just sort of. <laughs> But that we're all the, well. It's like a soup. We're all living in yeah. a soup, and then these islands or these moments, and that we're. I, was just, I, was just I, doing love, this I love that as an analogy. But seeing as when we met just here about an hour or so ago, I told you how I've recently become gluten free, so I wouldn't be able to participate. <laughs> in my, I wouldn't be able to participate in, my, uh, in the crouton soup. I don't think I've explained my theory very well. I think I might need to come back. But we do have one last question, which I think was in the middle, and I'm. One here and one here, but also, and there's also, and there's an online question. There are so many, but also I must say that after this last question, we can also go and join Matthew socially, sociably, very close enough to touch upstairs and have a drink with him. So you should definitely be prioritised, those who haven't asked a question. Can we have the online then? Thank you. Yeah, I have a question uh, from... A YouTube user with the username El Ruido es el mensaje. Excuse my Spanish. They say, Matthew, what do you consider to be the importance of noise and silence in your sound work or in your life? Well, I think that distinction is probably that's sort of gone for me. Probably that distinction between what's noise and what's silence and what is sound worth preserving. I think one of the one of the real issues. Um, that I have had as a sound recordist is because when you get the, the sound file into your computer, you can see a little thing that goes, hello, hello, uh, one nil to Germany, and you get a huge spike here. And the first thing you do when you edit is you get rid of all the stuff at the front. You go right up neatly up to the hooray. And then as soon as it finishes, you chop the end off. And actually, this is a very... Again, this is a very selective and unhealthy relationship between the phenomena, I think. I think you need to consider everything from 
from the beginning to that part and what happens after it. And you have to you have to consider who recorded it, why they recorded it, the format they recorded it on, why you're hearing it, why it was sent to you, and so on and so forth. And I think that those distinctions between silence and noise and sound, I think, uh, sh- should be absorbed into one one word, which tonight will be crouton. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good um, like mic drop word as well, isn't it? Crouton. Boof. Don't quite know why um, I started talking about time and croutons, <laughs> but I think it's because sound and music is just a measure of time. You know, it's time yeah. rendered into something manageable somehow. Yes. Thank you so much, Matthew. Wow, what an amazing treat of an evening. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank also you. to thank the brilliant interpreter. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening to Talking Culture, a Futures podcast, a production of the Goethe Institute London. Our guest on this episode was Matthew Herbert with his Goethe annual lecture, Beyond Hearing. The Goethe Institute is the Cultural Institute of Germany. We foster international cultural exchange and enable cultural involvement in over 100 countries worldwide. In London, we offer German language courses, cultural programs, events, literature and much more both in our institute on Exhibition Road and online. Find out more on our website at goethe.de forward slash London. For this episode, we worked with Better Lemon Creative Audio and executive producer Hannah Heffman. I've been your host, Lucy Rowan.